WVUD and UD Information Technologies present Campus Voices, conversations with University of Delaware faculty, staff, and students about their teaching, research, service projects, and other interests. To introduce today's guest, here's your host, Richard Gordon, manager of the IT Communication Group at the University of Delaware. Thank you, Jason. And joining me live in the studio today is Paul Hyde from IT Academic Technology Services, and he and I are going to introduce our main guest in just a moment or two. But Paul, why don't you tell the folks why you have come down to Perkins Student Center to join us today. Thanks, Richard. We're going to talk about the Winter Faculty Institute, which is coming up next Tuesday, January 22nd at the University of Marriott. The Winter Faculty Institute is all about getting together with other people who are committed to great teaching at the university. There's lots of new ideas to consider, new people to meet from around campus, and new inspiration to take away. Uh, this year, there's a lot going on on campus related to teaching. We're going to have the interdis- Interdisciplinary Science and Engineering Lab opening in the fall, the STAR Campus starting up next January. So the conversations are going to be about things like uh, interdisciplinarity, which uh, will be explained by John Junk, the incoming faculty director for the ICE Lab, if you don't know what that is. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the changing lineup in online education, the uh, challenge to make face-to-face instruction as valuable as possible, the information technologies grant, and lots more. So it's going to be a, a full day for everybody that participates. And what we've got coming up next is an interview that Paul and I recorded last Friday with the keynote speaker for the upcoming Winter Faculty Institute. So here we go. We're talking with Dr. Robert Steiner, the Director of Online Teacher Education Programs at the American Museum of Natural History. And he will be coming to campus on January 22nd to speak at the Winter Faculty Institute. Now, you're the Director of Online Teacher Education Programs. That's a pretty big part of what the American Museum of Natural History does, isn't it? Well, Richard, you know, it is, I think it's an important part of what we do in uh, in education here, in the education department, and the education department is certainly an important part of the museum. But the truth is that the museum is such a vast uh, enterprise with so many, uh, um, you know, moving parts to it that, um, uh, you know, I think any single program probably looks relatively small compared to the whole. You know, it's a, it's a big place. It's been around since 1869. It's got... Um, you know, a major scientific mission. It's got more than 200 full-time scientists in in major divisions of vertebrate and invertebrate zoology, anthropology, paleontology, earth and physical sciences, 45 uh, exhibition halls. You know, those scientists are the stewards of 32 million specimens and cultural artifacts. They go on more than 100 expeditions a year. And so it's a big place, and we've got, um, you know, a major institutional mission. You know, having said that, the education department itself, you know, is, is sizable and, um, and uh, you know, and, and offers programs on-site, online, blended to uh, teachers, students, the general public. And so, yeah, I do think that what we're doing is, uh, is uh, significant, important, and I think that uh, it's certainly a growing part of the way in which we view education here at the museum and elsewhere. One of the things that I really have admired in the presentations you all do is you seem to do an awful lot of continuing education for people who are currently teaching grades K to 12. Absolutely. In fact, you know, the uh, the flagship program for our online work is called Seminars on Science, and that is a program that um, 
that the museum created in 1998, and that was uh, supported by uh, uh, some very generous grants. And uh, that's given us a great opportunity. Uh, you know, I, the idea really behind that is is that this is a major way in which the museum is trying to address the ongoing crisis in science education. And so we felt that if we could reach teachers and we could do so uh, without the usual constraints of, of time and place, then uh, that would be a very worthwhile undertaking. Uh, you know, having said that, uh, you know, it really began as an experiment to try to understand how an informal science institution uh, could uh, design, develop, support, evaluate online courses, and to sort of see what what uh, what it can, could contribute in that area. But yeah, I'm very proud of the program. Uh, we've had more than 8,000 enrollments since 2000, um, and we have about 1,200 teachers a year, and we are, uh, you know, uh, having an opportunity to deepen their understanding of uh, of science in areas that range from, you know, genomics to astrophysics to dinosaurs and fish and water and climate change and so on. I just think it's so cool that you've got this enormous facility that covers up you know, all this area. It's one of every kid's favorite places to go visit is a physical experience. But it's you're also blending in a lot of online resources. And it's just, I think that's really cool that you're able to do that. So what have you observed about the relationship between this major physical presence and then the growth in online resources? Well, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's certainly true. The Just the, the physical experience of coming to the museum, you know, is, I think, a very inspiring one for almost everybody. And uh, uh, and in some ways, I think there's no substitute for looking at that incredible uh, skull of the, the T-Rex or the uh, the life-size, uh, you know, a blue whale in the Hall of Ocean Life and, you know, the incredible, you know, the hydrothermal vents uh, in the Hall of uh, Planet Earth. Um, but I think that, you know, what we've come to understand is, and, and, and so we have a lot of uh, face-to-face experiences here at the museum, um, but of course we, we understand that not everyone can come to the museum, and so that spurred the growth of, uh, of some of these online programs. And I think that uh, even with the face-to-face programs that we have here at the museum, and that includes, you know, courses, institutes, public lectures, Margaret Mead Film Festival, and so on. I think, you know, it's certainly not unique to the museum. I think just, you know, in general, uh, you know, in our society, we've come to understand the incredible value of having digital resources available online, you know, at, at one's beck and call. And so as those as the face-to-face programs have developed, I think, you know, it's now a very natural part to think about how are we going to support this uh, what's the online presence going to be, whether that's additional resources or additional means of communication. What's your vision for how the physical museum and the online resources work together and for some of the professional and graduate students enrolled in your programs? Well, I think that um, the in general, I think there are you know some common themes there in terms of accessibility and curricular and pedagogical innovation. I think that you know, different programs have, you know, can take advantage of those uh, opportunities in, in different ways. And so, you know, for example, uh, for our some of the blended uh, programs that we've done for teachers, say our, our blended course on climate change, you know, that's one where uh, teachers will come online for a couple of weeks and they will learn about weather and climate and about how the climate has changed over the last century. And then they'll come to the museum and they'll have an opportunity to uh, 
uh, do things that may be a little more challenging to do online. And so they'll have a chance to look at uh, curricular resources, a uh, something called a, a wedge stabilization game that came out of Princeton that they can use with their students to uh, understand the possibility, the the choices that are made in climate change, and they and then we can bring a scientist in. Uh, we've had uh, Dr. Nicole Davy, for example, from uh, Columbia's Lamont uh, Doherty Earth Observatory, to talk about uh, the use of tree rings in, uh, in in climate change science. And so, I think you get some wonderful opportunities to uh, sort of bring in the best of both worlds between online and on-site. You know, you can also, you, you, and you can use that online experience, for example, to, you know, make sure that people are brought up to a certain common level so that you can really use that face-to-face time well. That's a really good point, using that face-to-face time well. Um, it, it sort of is behind that whole idea of flipping the classroom, isn't it? Very much so. And I think that, uh, you know, that was, when we when we first set out to to try to leverage our online courses and to create some blended experiences to take advantage of you know not only what we had created online but of the incredible physical resources of the museum, I think that our basic thinking was that we could you know we could use the, the that online space to let people learn things that they that we didn't need to uh, be teaching them here physically at the museum. And so um, I think that it essentially is, is a form of that flipped classroom. And so you uh, make, make a, 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 you know, a rich array of resources available to them online, and you, you facilitate online discussion, and you get them and you really push them to get um, to the deepest understanding they, ca- they can, and then they, they come to the museum, and then you go from there and you take advantage of what you have at the museum. It strikes me that it's not just important to maintain the value of both an online and in-person teaching experience for the students, but it's also very important to manage them and design their interactions. Very much so. I think that's true. Of course, you know, uh, you you can only manage human beings so much, and I don't think we explicitly uh, try to do that. But, uh, you know, what we certainly do is we understand that the communications online are in some ways different from face-to-face, and we we take a lot we make a lot of uh, effort to prepare our instructors to facilitate those online uh, discussions we want to make sure that that we have rich questions for the students to address online and that they are supporting their answers with evidence and that our instructors are uh, following up or or per, or pushing them further and asking questions and so this uh, our program is is is, is is very much about questions and about getting to that deeper level of understanding. Now, one of the things that the Museum of Natural History has been doing for some time has been sort of making digital copies of a lot of the kinds of things that are on available there physically. And, and what's been sort of the experience you've had working in the digital humanities with digital museums? I mean, I think that the Museum of Natural History could uh, teach a lot of us who are interested in that kind of area some lessons from your early endeavors? Well, I think that um, I have to be honest and say that that's not an area that I've been focusing on very strongly. Our, our, uh, our courses in the, in, the, uh, in the Seminars on Science program really focus primarily on science, but having said that, they also try to get into the, um, the social and the environmental and the, the very human applications of that science. I think that um, we have had 
you know, one interesting experience that was an interesting blend of the uh, the arts and the sciences was a collaboration that we did with the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and that was a uh, a teacher institute on art, science, and inquiry, and that was really a three ring circus where we, in a good way, uh, in which we we actually brought a, a dozen teachers, or they had a dozen teachers in this uh, course, and we gave them about a week of online content, and then we brought them uh, a week of online content from the Museum of Natural History, and then a week of content from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and then we brought them in for a day at each of those institutions on successive days. They were, they had the chance to, they had presentations by curators online and on site. They got to see artistic exhibitions and, and, ha- and where these things get created and the same at the museum. And then there was a lot of discussion online and on site, and we had a chance to explore the really fascinating intersections between science and art and the nature of inquiry and, and creativity and so on. So that's a long-winded answer uh, uh, to your question, but uh, that's probably been our deepest exploration with the humanities. Well, actually, it's, I think it's very interesting, and particularly since University of Delaware is going to be opening its new ICE lab, the Interdisciplinary yes. Science and Engineering Lab, this fall. And that's one of the things that our faculty are being encouraged to do, to integrate science education across disciplines. And I bet you've had a lot of experience with that because you're a physics professor by training, but your work at the Museum of Natural History, you really are looking for opportunities to integrate science with other disciplines. Well, I think that's true. And um, I, and I think that, uh, for example, the, the museum has a major department of anthropology because our primary focus is really on science and science education. What are some of the challenges that, that you find teachers have in science education? Well, I think that, you know, it, it ranges that the, you know, certainly just having having materials, having current materials that can engage and excite students in science is one of them. Of course, a lot of the challenges that they have are things that we have trouble directly addressing, which is just the uh, the intense pressure on them to cover so much uh, of, a, uh, of a very crowded curriculum and to do so uh, with with minimal support, typically, um, but what I think we're able to do for them is to provide resources. We create educator guides uh, that give them a sense of how to utilize those resources in the classroom. We also uh, provide some guidance, and it has uh, uh, materials that let an educator really make the most out of a trip to the museum with their students. And so we give them a sense of the things that they can do in class with their students, the resources that they can provide before a museum trip. We have uh, sheets that they can utilize during the museum trip to have students, you know, have a guided exploration of these halls to answer questions and to observe and to discuss and then things that can happen in the classroom afterwards. Um, but, But largely, I think, what we really do for those teachers is we provide professional development uh, on site, online, in blended format that can deepen their own understanding of science and their understanding of the process of scientific inquiry and to provide them with uh, digital resources that they can utilize in the classroom. And those, those resources include things from our science bulletins program where short eight-minute videos that they can show in the classroom that have uh, uh, curricular supports that cover current research and recent discoveries across the 
life, earth, and physical sciences. We're talking with Dr. Robert Steiner, the director of online teacher education programs at the American Museum of Natural History, and he'll be coming to campus on January 22nd, where he'll be talking about a lot of these things that he and I have been talking about today. That is the integration of technology into the learning environment, the blending of online and physical experiences, things that we're spending a lot of time on here at the university as well. Now, let's switch to a little bit more general area, if you don't mind. Sure. You have been very deeply involved with K-12 teacher education, um, both at the City University of New York and Columbia Teachers College. And we know it's dangerous to make big generalizations, but based on your experiences and on some of the experiences you've heard about from some of the teachers who come to your um, master's program, what can those of us who teach at a school like the University of Delaware and other colleges, what can we expect from the next generation of learners? What will they want? Well, good question. I should just clarify that my work uh, at Queens College is actually within the Department of Physics, and so I'm teaching is uh, uh, typically undergraduates and graduates uh, in physics there, and not and not primarily to teachers. Well, that um, that gives you even more expertise to answer this question. <laughs> well, let's see if I can do so. Um, I think you know it's a great question, and uh, I mean, of course, the wonderful thing about uh, this area of science education and and uh, digital learning is that it's such a dynamic area and it moves so quickly and I think it's so uh, challenging to predict where things will be, you know, five years from now, you know, much less uh, a generation, you know, and, and an example of that, you know, is just just one example of many, of course, is sort of the rise of these massively open online courses that we've seen, you know, courses that can support, you know, 50, 100, 150,000 students in a single course. And so, you know, I, nobody was really talking about that uh, uh, two years ago. And so I think it's, it's very hard to, to, to predict. But, you know, having said that, I think, you know, it's clear that, um, you know, m- my own crystal ball says that, you know, we'll, we'll continue to see certain trends continue. We'll, and, and that is that, you know, basically, you know, kids are, this generation is born digitally. They expect to have, you know, strong digital tools and resources. I think that, you know, they don't make such strong distinctions between an experience that's on-site or that's online, that's physical, that's virtual. You know, I think we'll, and, and so we'll see the, the continued rise of, of things like, you know, um, augmented uh, education. And I think that, you know, they will continue to, and, and, and they'll expect, they'll take access for granted that they can get to an educational experience physically uh, on, on a, uh, a laptop or whatever laptops look like uh, 10 or 20 years from now or uh, other, other devices. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's con- going to continue to be an incredibly dynamic environment uh, in terms of the, kind, you know, the kinds of information resources that are available and the kinds of communications that are supported. In science education, I- I'm, I'm wondering, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about things like physics experiments that I would, you know, when I was a student, that we would do in the lab. And I think we're seeing a lot of students are finding simulations online or, you know, virtual biology dissections. I mean, it, we still need to be managing the virtual and the real in terms of some of these experiments, don't we? It's an, it's an interesting question, and I think that, um, you know, I think there's, there's certainly a role for simulation, but, there, of course, there's always the danger that, 
you know, that the, the map is not the territory and that the, the simulations don't really adequately capture the physical reality, not to mention, I think, the, the fact that uh, most of us just feel it's important for students to have uh, very direct experiences with nature. But the, um, you know, the, the tools, uh, you know, have really just been remarkable. You know, in my own area of physics, the rise of, of video trackers that can, you know, where you can, you can throw a basketball, you can, ta- you can take a, a picture with uh, a video with your with your smartphone of uh, a basketball being thrown across the court and then you can bring up some freely available tools and mark the trajectory of that ball and then you know uh, fit a mathematical curve to it and and you know basically model physical phenomena so it's just phenomenal uh, you know what's what's going on these days and um, and of course you know there's an array of of uh, uh, of other possibilities. In our own courses, we use Google Maps in our solar system course, for example, to have people create a scale model of the solar system in their neighborhood. So they might use, you know, the home plate of uh, Wrigley Field as the location of the sun, and then, you know, first No, no, base. no, 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 the, no. The home plate at Wrigley Field is the location of the edge of the universe. Okay, <laughs> I see. I probably don't understand baseball well enough to uh, to get that <laughs> reference, but I'll take your word for that one. I've been I've been spending too much time in the museum. But the um, anyway, so but it's nice then people can create those maps and what was you know formerly an assignment that might just be turned in to the teacher now can be shared across a classroom that can encompass you know uh, participants from from across the country and around the world. On our campus, uh, the simulation that I have enjoyed seeing the most is one by a, a professor named Don Lehman, uh, who put up a second life simulation of a crime scene uh, so that his students could all go visit the crime scene, as opposed to what I know one forensic professor did out in Nebraska where he buried a pig and then told the students to go find it. I mean, that's it's, that to me is one of the most creative uses of a simulation I've heard, you know, like where he sets up the crime scene and has the students explore it virtually. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You mentioned the the MOOCs, the Mm -hmm. Massive Open Online Courses. And Mm -hmm. I know that there's all sorts of changes coming in that area. I mean, Cornell recently set up something that if you start a course here in in their MOOC, it can lead with a little bit of money towards a certificate program. And there's there's discussion about how are these MOOCs and certificate and badge programs Mm going to affect degree programs. What does your crystal ball tell us about all that? The MOOCs are you know, on the face of it, uh, quite compelling because of the ability to reach so many people and to offer, you know, a a rich and free educational experience um, to them. And just the fact that you have software that can support, say, 140,000 people in a course is quite remarkable. You know, having said that, clearly it's a very, it's it's likely to be quite a disruptive uh, innovation. And it's interesting just to see how the, um, you know, how, Many of the Ivy League institutions and others now are racing to uh, to create these courses, and I think that you know, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic that it, that ultimately it will be it will be good for education. I think it's a very innovative opportunity. I think that the uh, the access that it will provide to people who are increasingly being uh, squeezed out of the opportunity to take advantage of higher education is wonderful. You know, at the same time, they're clearly you know pedagogical concerns about, you know, what does education look like in a class of 100,000 people? Um, how do you do assessments that are that have integrity? Um, and what kind of 
what, what kind of community do you develop and what's the role of the instructor? So lots of good questions, but um, I, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating world and, and it, it's here and I think we have to uh, understand it and explore it and see how we can take advantage of what uh, that kind of technology offers to improve uh, our own uh, instruction in the classroom. To me, it strikes me at least that it it can be a might be a big help in terms of some of these flipping the classroom kinds of things where now you're in a in a MOOC massive open online course you could be getting if you will the lecture material and then you know, actually go to a hands on lab. Uh, I agree completely, and I and and my understanding is that uh, some uh, institutions and I think particularly some community colleges are already embracing uh, that kind of idea and trying to take advantage of those. Those resources. We've been talking with Rob Steiner, the director of online teacher education programs at the American Museum of Natural History, and I think it's it is interesting. We're talking about you know physical presences like the University of Delaware or the museum, and online resources that support those kinds of education. I think it it's we're all looking for different ways to more opportunities to engage students and and integrate subject areas, aren't we? We sure are. You're absolutely right, and it's uh, you know it's it's a great time to be involved in this area, and so, so much is happening, and I think there's so much opportunity for individual creativity. Thanks so much for joining us, Rob. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Rob Steiner, the director of online teaching programs at the American Museum of Natural History. And before we go any further, I should thank my colleagues, my f- colleagues in IT. Paul Hyde from ATS, and Joe Dombrowski and Andrew Brett for helping engineer that recorded telephone interview. And here live in the studio is Paul Hyde to give us one last spiel about the Winter Faculty Institute next Tuesday. Okay, so the Winter Faculty Institute's a chance to find out more about all of the topics you just heard and much more that we're adding to the program um, so we still have uh, some seats left, and we'd like to include as many people as possible. It's not too late to sign up on the web at ats.udel.edu slash winter. So that web address is ats.udel.edu slash winter. Uh, we usually have about 100 faculty and staff participate, so it's your chance to find out um, what's new, what we've learned since the last institute, and what the best next steps are to take. The Winter Faculty Institute has something for everyone who teaches at the University of Delaware. It's free, it's fun, it's all about faculty, and lunch is on us. The lunch being on IT is a very important part, isn't it? And I think one of the things I've always enjoyed about the Faculty Institutes here at UD is a large portion of the program is UD faculty helping other UD faculty learn about different uses of technology in the classroom. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Richard. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Campus Voices, a collaboration between WVUD, the broadcast voice of the University of Delaware, and UD Information Technologies. The views expressed on this program are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official views or policies of WVUD, UD Information Technologies, or the University of Delaware. For more information about Campus Voices and to find archive copies of this and other episodes, visit our website. Using all lowercase letters, go to www.udel.edu slash campusvoices.
We invite you to tune in every Thursday morning at 8.30 for Campus Voices on 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, Newark, or online at WVUD.org. Hi, this is Courtney Granger. You're listening to 91.3 FM, WVUD, and WVUD HD1, New York, Delaware.